to Saving People, Queering Things, the supernatural podcast where once again we have thoughts on a queer dean heart attack theory to talk about today. Today we are pulling up to season four with episode six, Yellow Fever. I'm Abigail, one of your hosts, and my pronouns are they, them. And with me today we have a wonderful guest, Haley. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell us about your experience with Supernatural? My name is Haley and my pronouns are she, her. Um, I started watching Supernatural in the summer of 2013 right before season, right after season eight had finished airing. And I caught up over that summer and started watching when season nine was live. And I watched pretty consistently as it was airing for a couple of seasons and took a little bit of a break and then caught up. And then by the time the finale aired, I was like fully invested again. So. <laughs> and you're pretty active on, like we, we connected through Supernatural TikTok, mm-hmm. which has been like kind of the new iteration of where the fandom has kind of ended up, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited you're here because you had made a couple of videos about this particular episode, and I'm excited to get to unpack them a little bit when we get into the episode. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Yeah. But now that you've met us, we're going to catch up. So if you haven't watched Supernatural or this season recently, here is what you've missed on the road so far. First up, I'm going to recap the season, season four so far, the first seven episodes. Yeah. Okay. Haley, can you count me in for recapping the season? Okay, three, two, one, go. Okay, so Dean is in hell, and then he is not. He is suddenly white, awake in a box in the ground, and he digs himself out, and it turns out that an angel uh, named Castiel has rescued him for some grand heaven plan that's kind of unclear. Dean says he doesn't remember hell, but turns out he actually does. He's just not telling Sam about it. Sam and Ruby are doing suspicious things that are unclear, and Sam is lying to Dean about it. And Cass keeps telling Dean that he was saved for some heavenly purpose. That was a very good recap. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, I think that's everything. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good to me. (laughs) So now Haley's going to recap this week's episode, which is Yellow Fever. Let me know when you're ready. No rush. I don't know if I'll ever fully be ready, but let's try it. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Three, two, one. Go. Okay, we cold open with Dean running across what looks like a parking lot being chased by a Yorkie. Um, the, the next thing we know, 43 hours earlier, Sam and Dean are in a morgue and they're looking at this guy who supposedly died of a heart attack, but it wasn't really a heart attack. So they go talk to the sheriff and the sheriff says the guy was like paranoid, freaking out. So they go talk to the, the guy's neighbor who says the guy was also paranoid, freaking out. We think that it's Dean's got some wrong him as ghost sickness and they have to scare the ghost to death. Nice, nice. That was awesome. I I missed like the second half of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> but you got you you came in with clutch with the like they have to scare the go you know you like closed it off. <laughs> I tried. I realized there was about eight seconds left. And I was like, oh no, I'm not gonna make. It. <laughs> <laughs> That's my problem. Anytime I do the episode recap, I'm always like spend twenty seconds on setting it up and then go oh, wait wait. <laughs> yep, I, I got too many details in the first half. The second half, I just gave like five words. <laughs> You know, you get there. (laughs) So now that we're caught up, we're going to go into our episode mixtape. So every week we're collecting songs that remind us of these episodes. And at the end of the season, we'll have this beautiful mixtape of uh, season four, 
yeah, Hilly, do you have a song for this episode? I went back and forth because my brain would only give me Eye of the Tiger for obvious reasons. And I <laughs> yeah. figured that's kind of, a, that's a given. That's too easy. Yeah. So I thought of Ghost Town by Adam Lambert. Mm, cool. Nice. I like it. It's very um on theme for this, for this episode. <laughs> the song I'm going with is You Alive by The Oh Hellos. It's also a song about like being haunted and chased by your fears. It feels very uh, Dean coded. So good. <laughs> yeah. So now that we've got our mixtape, it is time for this week's hunt. And today's episode, which is Yellow Fever, and we're going to be talking about it through the theme of human nature. Yeah. Is there anywhere in particular you would like to start with this episode? One of the first things I had written down on my notes, because I was jumping straight into the queer reading. <laughs> yes, please. Yes, please. <laughs> I kind of jumped straight to where they're talking to the sheriff, whose name I can't remember at the moment. And he's explaining to Sam and Dean how he knew Frank. And he was like, me and Frank, we were friends. And then he's like, we were Gamecocks, which was like the name of their softball team, <laughs> which Dean immediately starts laughing about and making jokes <laughs> about. And then the, the sheriff like puts them in his place and like, he's like, they're a majestic animal and like all this stuff. <laughs> but that was our first like gay joke of the episode. Yeah. Yeah, which is quite something for this episode that's like not a, it like is and isn't a humorous episode. And that joke comes back. Like also later on, that same joke plays out with uh, Corn Jerkers as mm -hmm. one of the other teams, which like, <laughs> why? I would like to know. <laughs> yeah, it, there's definitely a specific imagery they were going for with these team names. <laughs> Sam's just like, whatever. And Dean's like, mm, this is very funny to me. Specifically yeah. funny to me. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I, the like first thing I noticed, we've talked a little bit about this on the podcast before, and I don't know if it's something that you are familiar with, the like recurring motif of like Dean being saved and or connected to people who have had heart attacks mm -hmm. and the queer like implications of that, like going all the way back to faith. And this is yes, another sure. example of that. Like Dean literally holds the, the heart of someone who like died like by a quote unquote heart attack. And like, it turns out to not be quite as simple as that, but it they are dying because they're of their fear. And it is like basically getting to the point where it stops their hearts. And I, it's just very interesting to me that Dean is being connected, like that Dean is the one that gets targeted in this episode. Yeah, Dean is consistently throughout the whole show associated with heart and mm -hmm like literal hearts and like heart attack and heart problems and things like that like you said it's safe where he was saved by the heart of who was a gay man yeah who <laughs> died who did dying of a heart attack for Dean to live so like Sam is never really connected with hearts in that way but Dean consistently is yeah and even like a lot of the times that different monsters or villains like will attack the boys when they're not like directly attacking them when they're using you know psychic abilities or whatever like it's often heart related specifically for Dean like he's usually like clutching his chest clutching his heart and it doesn't happen as often with Sam it's very very interesting and then you know you think about like he's later on in the show connected to Cass and like the concept of hearts and it's just very um, interesting yeah <laughs> I would love to hear about kind of the you know the interpretation they give in this episode for why Dean is targeted the interpretation Sam gives is like you know they were all kind of dicks and like you know that, you know, it's a bully, it's a vice principal, bully, a vice principal, and a bouncer. And Sam's like, yeah, that's why you get, you got targeted and I didn't get targeted. But I remember in the videos that you had made about this having kind of a different way of looking, a specifically queer way of like looking at this episode and, and Dean. And I would love to hear about that, talk about that. Okay, so kind of what this 
thread that I was kind of following there is kind of going back to the way that they figure out the way the ghost sickness is being spread is through touch for the most part. It seems like through people, mm-hmm. with like physical contact or like aerosol droplets, things like sneezing, things like that. Because Sam got infected with like, or he should have got infected by the spleen juice and being mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> So he did it and yeah. then he did get infected presumably either which he either got infected from holding the heart although he had gloves on or he got infected didn't he isn't he the one that shook the sheriff's hand he's the one he shakes the sheriff's hand so it's probably that's probably the implication of when mm-hmm. he got infected but starting out by saying that the way the disease started spreading was through this male softball team and the softball teams both have what we've already discussed very like homoerotic names yeah like the gamecocks and the corn jerkers like that's their name we're already associating these teams with queerness Mm -hmm. and then we're saying that this disease is spread through the sickness is spread through people that are associated with queerness even though none of the characters are like explicitly queer there's still a theme there definitely (laughs) and sam and dean were both exposed but only dean caught it and like Sam's explanation to me reads a lot like a younger brother he's he's just like oh yeah you're you're my big brother and you're mean like that's why you got it and I did it he's almost tongue-in-cheek about it yeah but yeah Sam is almost a little bit of a dick about it to Dean the rest of the episode where he's kind of like well it's kind of your fault that you got sick being like I didn't get sick so that means like I don't know, like something about you. Yeah. And I feel like there's, I try to think back, there's been a common thread in the earlier seasons of sicknesses being queer coded, spreading Mm -hmm. through through people and creatures and things like that and supernatural for better or for worse and it this kind of rang similar to me just looking at the subtext and the meta of like how they're framing the spreading of this infection and then we get to the end of course and the things that Lilith is saying like to tell Dean like you know why you got infected like listen to your heart Dean and like at that time we didn't know why the viewer wasn't supposed to know why yeah and if I remember correctly they don't make it they don't specifically call back to this moment to link the two events of why he got infected even though we're supposed to believe that Dean knows for some secret reason and to me the the phrasing of listen to your heart and then Dean not actually like replying is like what he thinks Lilith is telling him I don't know it feels like there's something they didn't actually come out and say to us I yeah I think that's I think that is the part that feels really like really the nail in the coffin for that interpretation because he's also asking the questions of like why me which kind of is echoing the question he asked is like the questions he's asked to Cass about like why was he rescued from hell like obviously there's stuff about his time in hell that we're going to find out later that is also connected to this but I think it makes sense that it could be more than one thing and the listen to your heart especially when we've seen that connected already to Dean's queer coding is I think really really interesting and you know I feel like there's definitely a way to view it the the way that Kripke intended it to be read as canon for why but that doesn't take away from the queer reading of it because 
the meta of Dean being associated with hearts and his the symbolism of that also associated with queerness just feels to me like you can read that into this. It's not like they're mutually exclusive. Yeah, exactly. And I think like we see with some with all of the with the other victims, also these concepts of people not being what they seem. Like people not being what you what you perceive them to be on the outside. You know, someone might be perceived to be, you know, an upstanding citizen, but actually they're a murderer. Someone might have been seen as this outcast or this weirdo or this stalker, but actually was just this really gentle and kind person who like didn't deserve what happened to them. The idea that like Dean is also not seen the way he really is. And that that's somewhat like the way he's built his persona is very easy to read queerness into that. Oh, I had a thought about this actually going down this trail. In this episode, I feel like we are with Dean. We see two different aspects of how this ghost sickness is affecting him. We see the fear side, which is the obvious one. That's mm-hmm. like, he's afraid of dogs. He's afraid of going back to hell. He's afraid of Lilith and becoming a demon. Like all of these things manifest as his fears. And he's also afraid of heights and things like that now. <laughs> it's all very classic Dean. It's kind of great. They covered all the bases. <laughs> Yeah, but I feel like there's another aspect that I didn't notice until I rewatched it this time. It's not just the fear we're seeing, it's his vulnerability and his his honesty, his mm-hmm. a lot of his inhibitions and his the ways that he would immediately put up a wall in certain situations, they're all gone. And that doesn't have to do some of the things he did in this episode weren't because he was afraid. It's just because he didn't have a filter. Yeah, I actually noticed that as well. Like Dean really hates being vulnerable and scared, but he doesn't really get a choice in this episode because it's all sort of like brought to the surface. And I even noticed how he like masks some of the fear and vulnerability by like over exaggerating it. So like the when he does like the really high pitched screaming, I'm like, that's not that's not real. That's I think him playing up in some ways the fear because it that masks the actual like vulnerability because we see him when he's actually afraid earlier. And we see when what he does when he's actually afraid, which is like he drinks, he makes jokes. He doesn't he's sometimes forced into sharing bits of himself that he doesn't want to. He doesn't care about food which we know like is a big sign that he's not doing okay. He's like actually really freaked out about being haunted. And, you know, we get all these hell flashbacks kind of flipped with these like over-exaggerated fear moments that I think are him playing up. If he seems more scared of dumb things, then he can be less vulnerable about the things he's actually scared about because he doesn't actually really want to let Sam know the things he's actually afraid of. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense too. I have never read it that way before, like him playing up the sillier fears, but it makes total sense with Dean's characterization. If he can take some sort of control over the situation that he's in, then that makes him feel better. Like like whenever Sam asks him, like, <laughs> what did you see? And he says, howler monkeys. Like, obviously <laughs> he was just making a joke to try yeah. to like, hide the truth. But. And Sam knows it too. Like the way Sam looks at him, like Sam knows he's lying, but Sam's also like, yeah, you are not able to say what you're really afraid of. And, and Dean even goes, you know, like, I don't know, you saw it, like, I see the usual, like, and yeah, it's very interesting. I, it's funny because like this episode was one that I thought I didn't like very much until actually seeing a couple of your videos on it. And I was like, ooh, this is an interpretation that I like a lot better because I think the way the episode wants us to think about this is that like, it's because Dean is this particular kind of persona that's kind of a bully and a jerk. 
but that's when you flip it and it's not actually about that anymore. This episode totally changes. And so I really loved this episode because it showed that vulnerability and all of the triggers that Dean has and all of the ways that he doesn't want to be, you know, that like it hit so many of his biggest fears are about him being the bad guy or him being the bully. And like that, so much of that comes from hell, comes from like the way John treated him, like all of these things. Yeah, I liked this episode a lot more this time, like looking at it a little differently. Yeah, I think the first two times I watched it I just saw it it's like one of the funnier mm-hmm. like episodes supernatural like there wasn't a lot of substance to it so when you really start digging into it there's like oh there's a lot to Dean's characterization here yeah this episode ends up on a lot of lists of like funniest supernatural episodes and like watching it now I'm like how like other than the scenes where he's running from Yorkie I'm like those are funny but they're also not yeah. <laughs> think about why he's scared of a Yorkie because he's scared of a Yorkie because of massive hellhound trigger which is just not not actually very funny once you think about it like at all yep. <laughs> they really made a choice to do an episode about fear and kind of like laugh about Dean's fear like right after he's been in hell for like 40 years which is a choice yeah, that they I feel made. like it was an interesting choice to make it his fear into this comedic thing for like a mm-hmm. like monster of the week episode whenever it's something that he's suffering a lot of trauma with like I know a lot of times monster of the week episodes are used to explore darker and deeper themes in a lighter mm-hmm. way and like an easier way to yeah. parse out but it almost, I don't know, it comes a little bit, it's off as a little bit insensitive to me to Dean's very real fear and trauma. That's how, that's how I, I think that's why I've never really loved this episode because I was like, it's supposed to be funny, but it's mm-hmm. not. And I liked it better when I looked at it as like the narrative wants you to be, think it's funny. But when you actually think about the layers of it for Dean, both from like the queer angle and the, just the trauma angle and all of these other things, like he's confronting some parts of himself unwillingly, like he's being forced to confront some parts of himself that are really really scary and it's pushing all this vulnerability to the surface and he's kind of alone in it because Sam is a little bit insensitive about it (laughs) yeah I also like the whole yeah I also noted that down that Sam was a little bit insensitive and like I think part of the issue is that Dean is always the older brother who like takes the reins Mm -hmm. and when Sam's having a moment Dean is there for him and Dean's the one to be like okay let's do this do this and he just takes charge of the situation. Sam's never really had to be in that position before, at least not no. often that we've seen. So he, it stands out to me whenever they're at the lumber mill and he automatically like hands the gun over his shoulder to Dean and he looks around Dean's like, no, I'm not taking that. And Sam kind of has to realize like, okay, I'm going to have to just tell Dean what to do. And like, we're going to, I'm going to have to lead the situation. And he's not very good at it. No, it's like this role reversal. And I think like later in the show, we get that more. But like at this point, we we don't we haven't had that a lot where like Sam has had to take charge over Dean and like be responsible for Dean's safety and I mean it's like that whole parent child thing like Dean is in so many ways Sam's parent and suddenly Sam is having to kind of be Dean's parent and he's not very good at it you're right he's just, he's he's kind of like I like there's a few scenes where I'm like why did you bring Dean along for this why did you bring him along? This was not going to end well. Like, he's, of course, he's going to say dumb shit to, like, it's going to blow your cover. Like, you know, we were talking about how we we're going to make this episode somehow about Cass. I actually just thought about <laughs> how funny it is that yeah. um, when they go to introduce themselves as FBI agents, Dean's like having a little meltdown about his badge and handing his badge. <laughs> and Sam has to, like, look at him and make him hand his badge. That reminds me of 
Dean and Cass with the whole like Dean time you're going to hunt with Cass and he's Sam and Cass is just like not a natural when it comes to stuff like that. <laughs> Cass is so bad at faking being an FBI agent. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I love that parallel. <laughs> uh, it's it's like I think I like seeing human nature is kind of the theme and we've been talking about like kind of all around that for this discussion but like seeing Dean kind of stripped down to like who he is without his persona is I think one of the things that I really like in this episode he's able to say things like you know I'm done with monsters and hellhounds and ghost sicknesses and the apocalypse like he's like I did not want any part of this he's able to like have like the panic attacks and the hallucinations that we know he usually stuffs down and like muffles with hunting. And it is even like him and the deputy, you know, not everyone sees that scene as like flirting, but I think you can see it as, as flirting, like the way he interacts with the deputy and like, he's a combination of drunk and ghost sick, but it's, he turns on that like charm that we often see him do with women. I definitely, yeah, I've always read that as flirting. Like, I feel like because on the second rewatch, or this is more than my second time watching this, but on this (laughs) rewatch, I noticed at the beginning, I forgot the deputy was in the episode earlier on whenever they first go to visit the sheriff. He's the one that like lets them in to go see the sheriff. And in that like brief interaction, he's like grinning really big at Dean. And then Dean just kind of like nods his head and just like smiles a little bit, but kind of like awkward what are you looking at type of thing and then later whenever he's saying they're talking to him he's just like you're awesome like the deputy was definitely like flustered like the deputy thought he was flirting with him whether Dean was or not so oh yeah he doesn't know how to react because he's all he's all Dean's all like giggly and like his inhibitions yeah, are gone Dean's acting super giggly and like excited but he's happy that the deputy is like giggling at him and they're having a whole moment before Sam like drags him out <laughs> yeah and it's that combination I think just with Dean's inhibitions gone whenever his inhibitions are gone and we've seen this like earlier on the show we'll like continue to see it the way he interacts with men not all men but the way he interacts with some men is also the way he interacts with some women when when he doesn't have those same like things that are like holding back it's yeah I can't not see it now you know especially when you take it in context of like every other interaction he has with men where you're like yeah he's flirting yeah. like this is very much like that or very much like when he puts the moves on with girls I've seen a lot of people talk about how Dean's really good at making the first move but if someone flirts back with him he gets super flustered <laughs> and doesn't know how to handle it just like panics yeah it seemed like the same sort of situation to me where he was just like I'm gonna say something to this guy then the guy like got giggly and said well you're awesome too and then Dean just like had no response <laughs> like deer in the headlights especially when it's men too like he he has an easier time reacting if a girl flirts back but when it's a guy it's like even more amped out like he doesn't do well he just kind of freaks out and freezes and goes like oh like I because he likes to flirt and he like says that in the show he says that he like likes to flirt and even like other characters point out to him later on like there's a season 15 no sorry season 14 scene that's happening entirely in his mind where a character that's a product of his self-conscious subconscious says to him like you just like to flirt Mm -hmm. and I think that yeah he likes to flirt but he doesn't always know what to do with reciprocation because reciprocation means that he has to like actually front his own feelings especially when it's you know not a not a woman. I feel like with women with 
coming from like a cis man flirting with a cis woman, there's a certain script there. There's a dynamic that's kind of established that being goes into it, expecting that dynamic to play out. But when it's men, it's he just doesn't like every time he's I can ever picture that a man has flirted with him or flirted back with him, he just blue screens like error 404. <laughs> he's speechless. <laughs> Yeah, it's my favorite trope in like Destiel fix or just like supernatural fix in general where Dean's queerness is explored is 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 him blue screening whenever anyone flirts back because I think it's so well represented in the show that like, he doesn't know what this like you said I think the script part he doesn't there's no predetermined script of like who takes charge who makes the first move how do you respond he just sort of like does the things he would do with anyone but he also doesn't I think he, he always usually is the one pursuing. So when he's being pursued back, especially by someone who, you know, where there isn't that role established, um, he doesn't know what to do with that. And he often just then goes, and then he gets very, yeah, like he gets like, he gets in this episode, he gets kind of giggly. He gets kind of like shy. He gets kind of like flustered. Like, I don't know what to do. Someone else take charge. Mm-hmm. Someone else make a decision. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's funny that Sam didn't even say anything. He just shows up and grabs the arm. He's like, let's go. <laughs> Sam being oblivious I think Sam just thinks it's the ghost sickness <laughs> and the alcohol that's yeah like Sam does not see what's going on in this episode no. for Dean like really at all no <laughs> Sam's very case focused right now and I love Sam but he's that he's he's a little dense yeah, in this episode he, he wasn't very sympathetic and didn't really get a lot of what Dean was going through he kind of, I think like giving Sam a little bit of benefit of the doubt Dean always is the one who takes the lead yeah. in these situations and he's not he doesn't ever willingly unless he's at a really low point he doesn't usually willingly like confront his fears and feelings with Sam even though Sam, no. Sam's used to trying to get Dean to confront his feelings and then Dean blows him off with some sort of like remark but in this mm-hmm. episode Dean wasn't even trying to hide it he was just he couldn't, he couldn't yeah he couldn't hide how he was feeling and what he was scared of so whenever Dean like you said earlier when Dean did those like over exaggerated displays of fear over silly things part of that made he was helping Sam like feel a little more comfortable and Sam mm. was like oh it's just being being silly like I can laugh about this right. but that he can take it less seriously but he, but that meant that he didn't actually take very seriously some of the stuff that Dean was actually scared of and the ways he was actually manifesting his fear of dying again yeah I think that's a really good point because I don't think it's an intentional Sam not caring thing it's actually Dean still managing to have a bit of a persona with his brother because it's he's letting Sam slip back into that little brother role a little bit and Sam's kind of taking that chance yeah it's almost easier for both of them if they can stick to those roles because then they don't have to and I think Dean knows that like if he gives in to that fear it starts to consume him and like as the episode goes on and it gets closer and closer I could just couldn't help but like pick up on all of the parallels to season three episode 16 like there's so many parallels of like he's looking at the book and he's seeing weird things he's like hallucinating things he's having a a panic attack you know all of those are things that happened to him in the like 24 hour countdown he's like obsessed with the sound of the clock all of those are really present for him more and more in this episode I feel like the main thing that stood out to me was the way that because I was kind of looking at through a queer lens but it's not just queer it's just kind of the othering of Luther Mm -hmm. whether 
it said that whether he's it's because he has some sort of like neurodivergency like a mental developmental disorder something like that it's not really said but they basically just say his brother says that he's just like a weirdo and Mm -hmm. the town writes him off and they refuse to try to understand him and I don't know about you but I'm I'm originally from a small town in the south in the U.S. and I've definitely seen examples of people who very clearly could benefit with some kind of help psychiatrically or medically or something like that but they're just kind of ripping off as like the town weirdo people Mm -hmm. avoid them and that's way too common of a theme and that seems to be what they're implying happened here is that Luther was just too weird and no one understood him they were scared of him so they just made him like this outsider yeah that was like what I one of the things that made me the most sad watching this episode was the idea that Luther was probably neurodivergent in some way was just like I couldn't ignore it and I like have seen that before when I've watched this episode but it was like really hard to ignore this time and the fact that instead of like seeing him as a full human um everyone has just sort of been like he's scary because of his outward appearance because you know he's this big big guy who looks scary and like his brother says you know he wouldn't have hurt he was super kind and gentle like wouldn't have hurt anyone you know the fact that he had like really fixated on I don't remember what her name is on Jesse 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 yeah the fact that he really fixated on Jesse I was like, that's also just, you know, someone was kind to him. Someone treated him like a full human. And he really like latched onto that as like a, a person who who wasn't othering him. And yeah, I've also seen that othering in communities where instead of someone being welcomed in just as they are, they're instead made to be like villainized. And that's what happens with Luther is that like, they're like, oh, you're different. So there's something wrong with you. And it's easy to like make you the scapegoat for the things that we're afraid of. And that's what Frank does. I had a little bit of an issue with the way Luther's brother like talks about it. And like, I get he's trying to find some peace with the situation with like this awful situation that he's never gotten any justice for. But he talks about how Frank was like afraid and freaking out because his wife had disappeared. And he sort of goes like, oh, I've forgiven him because, you know, he was also going through a thing. But I was like, that's not that's not I'm sorry, you know, yes, he was scared about what had happened to his wife and his wife had disappeared, but he had no, you know, he went right to like violence towards a marginalized person and like a super vulnerable person. And not just like, not just like he went towards violence, but he went towards like really graphic, really prolonged violence. And that like, I couldn't watch that scene when I rewatched this episode. Like I had to look, physically look away and not be watching that scene because, or the scene at the end when they're recreating that because I was like this is just like horrific and that is not excusable for Frank because he was scared himself yeah and I'm pretty sure what they said was that his wife had just disappeared and they found her later but he also he had no evidence at that point that there was any foul play exactly he had no reason to suspect Frank except that Frank like had some sort of like attachment to Jesse because she was nice to him but he had no reason to all of a sudden just jump straight to violence and like you said it to me it feels less like he thought he was justified and more like it was an excuse to act out on his already existing like prejudices and yeah he he already didn't like Luther and he already wanted to act on that in some way, probably. And it's like you said, he was an easy scapegoat. It was like, oh, well, something happened. It was probably that guy. Yeah, it's so easy to like blame someone else 
for the reason that you're feeling angry or violent or scared. And I agree. That's exactly, I think, what's happening. Um, and I, I I think it's unfortunate that the episode doesn't take a little bit of a stronger stance on that because I think they do a good job of showing that like Luther wasn't the villain. But at the same time, the solution to the this situation in the end is them basically re-traumatizing the ghost until it's gone. And like Sam, Sam says at the end that like it was really horrific like it's really horrible that this is what we had to do but you know I really just hate the solution of like traumatized the already traumatized um and I don't know if they could have done differently it just like highlights the like unfairness of so many of the things that Sam and Dean encounter like there's not a happy ending for Luther yeah there's no real justice in any of the situation because Luther was unfairly killed in a very traumatic way Mm -hmm. and then he ends up the reason that he stayed back as a ghost is because I think I think they touched on before that a lot of times ghosts people stick around and turn to angry spirits because they died in like a really unfair unjust mm-hmm. way and they have like unfinished business they can't let go of yeah. and that's I think we're supposed to assume that's why he infected Frank with the ghost sickness because yeah. Frank is the one that killed him I guess so and it's kind of unclear as to why it's he it's like ghost sickness instead of just like regular angry spirit killing yeah because it feels less in ghost sickness feels less in his control like it feels more like it's just it's yeah i've it's also strange because it's like the the only time we'll talk about this a little bit later but i think the only time we see something like this very specifically it's it was an interesting choice to make it like a transmissible sickness yeah that's true because a lot of times when people stick around because they have some like unfinished business they're just like violently haunting someone they're not yeah. it doesn't it doesn't manifest itself as ghost sickness yeah like this makes it almost seem actually I think I, I prefer that to then to like I think if they had made him just like an angry violent ghost that would have lent more to the like him being responsible for this I think it being ghosting this feels way more out of his control you know he's further being marginalized again even in his death because it's created this accidentally created this sickness that now is spreading almost like the the hatred and prejudice that was inflicted on him is now being spread through his death to other people including people who have nothing to do with it like dean like some of the other members of the softball team presumably like not just He's not an angry spirit in the way that he's like just targeting, which makes Sam's explanation even more flimsy of like, you know, they were all dicks. You don't know that someone just because someone's like a vice principal or a bouncer, like doesn't actually mean that they're a dick. Like we know the sheriff, we know like Frank was, and we know like we know some of the characters are, but like not all of them are presumably. And Sam maybe just doesn't get exposed. You know, sometimes you just don't get sick. (laughs) Sam's immune system is just stronger. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, like in real life with illnesses, two people can be standing in the same room together and one of them will get sick and the other won't. That doesn't mean that there was some specific, that Sam had some kind of like hyper immunity to it. No, or maybe it's the demon blood. Maybe that's why Sam's immune. Maybe. (laughs) I can buy that that would be why, like Sam's just a little bit less likely to get any kind of like demonic or evil sickness because he's got demon blood immunity. You know, that's a pretty good explanation. I've never thought of that, but that makes sense. He's not like fully human. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like with the other characters though, one person who gets skipped over really quickly in this episode is Jesse, the wife. I don't even think mm. she has any dialogue, but no. we only see her like briefly. 
but she went out of her way to be kind to this person. As far as we know, she was one of the only people who ever went out of her way to be kind to Luther because mm-hmm. she saw that there was he was harmless. People were being unfairly cruel to him and she just wanted to be a friend to him. And she didn't ask for any of this situation to happen to her. She didn't ask for this violent love triangle to occur because of her situation. And we don't know, I mean, we know... We hear why they say that what happened to her, but we still don't know her story and what happened there. But I wish we could have gotten a little bit more perspective on her role in this, because in a lot of Hmm. ways, she was a catalyst in this situation between Frank and Luther. But we don't really know anything about her or like what was actually going on there. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like we know that she was struggling a lot. I think this episode is a really good example of like the fact that people with neurodivergency and mental illness are like much more likely to be the victims than to be the perpetrators of violence, like both in Luther's case and in Jesse's case, like they are both victims of their circumstances and of things that are going on outside of their control. And both of them, the main things we know about them, like, you know, very little other than that they were like kind people. And even the fact that they bonded coming from the fact that Jesse was kind and like we think of it I think it's easy to be like you know Jesse was kind to Luther but Luther was also kind to her they also they just seemed like they had an actually like mutually reciprocal respectful caring relationship and like we don't know much about Frank but based on his actions after Jesse goes missing like I'm not guessing he was a super kind person you know, didn't the neighbor, Frank's neighbor say that he bullied half the town whenever they were in high school? And he has a history of physical and like emotional violence and abuse. Yeah. So like the chances that Jesse, I wish, yeah, like you said, I wish we knew more about her and like why she, what was going on in her story, because it also seems likely that she was also a victim of Frank before, you know, before this, she got caught in this situation. Yeah. And that's really tragic. I was thinking about that while I watched it this time around, because someone who will jump straight to a violent murder because his wife is missing comes across as a very controlling and likely at least emotionally abusive person. Mm -hmm. And we know he was a bully and not the nicest person just in general, but it seems to me that there was probably more going on at home there. Yeah. And that maybe she connected with Luther because like you said, she was also a victim in a lot of ways and she was also treated badly and I can't remember. Didn't they say that she had bipolar? Yeah, they say, yeah, Dean says at one point, once they've done a little research, she says she was a manic depressive. So yeah, like the chances that it was bipolar, something in that realm. Okay. So I mean, yeah, the fact that she has some sort of neurodivergency and was able to connect with Luther, that probably had a lot to do with her feeling a little bit other by her. Because manic depressive episodes can be very extreme sometimes. and Super isolating. Yeah, it can be isolating and you can do things of those episodes that you wouldn't normally do if you're having like a regulated like emotional state and mm-hmm. you have to live with the consequences of that or it, you just feel bad it's, it's not a good feeling to be out of control of your own emotion yeah and I feel like you probably was able to look at Frank and be like he's not doing anything to deserve any of this it's out of his control and like she was able to show a lot more mercy and kindness to him and I just really wish that we've seen more of her character because I feel like there's a whole other story there <laughs> yeah I wish we got to see more of her and like other than that one shot we don't get to see her and Luther interact and like seeing how they had been 
a kindness in each other's lives, which seems like both of them, both of them needed, like both of them needed. They were in this small town. She was married to this person who was a bully. He was bullied by the whole town. He was ostracized. Like they maybe legitimately did only had each other. And, you know, like you think about like they worked together, kind of worked in the same building. And, and I also like think about Luther of like how hard it must have been even pre like it doesn't take very long between when she goes missing and when he's killed but like in that time he is also going to be grieving her loss and also going to be terrified at her like disappearing like that's also something that he would have had to suffer through before he's ever blamed for for what happens to her and like it's just really I wish we had gotten to see more of that because I think also it makes it kind of like lends strength to the theory that like the ghost sickness is more you know, for Dean in particular, is not about him being anything like Frank. It's actually more about him being similar to Jesse and to Luther. It's more also about him also being isolated and ostracized and like othered by various communities for his experiences, for his trauma, for his queerness. He's also doesn't have people to confide in about the things he's really experienced. Yeah. And like you were saying earlier about how Frank and all of these other people who've been infected, it seems like there's some sort of a sheriff and all of this. There's some sort of like hidden side to them. There's some sort of like secret they have that's being drawn out to the surface that this ghost sickness is kind of highlighting. And with Dean, I think we really see that in that little breakdown he has towards the end where he's ranting and yelling about like, we seek out the things that want to kill us. Like, you know, who does that? Crazy people. <laughs> and he's like, he, he just starts naming off a whole list of things that are like day-to-day parts of their lives and that he actually like secretly hates and that he pretends to enjoy and play up about himself and about their lives but in reality he's trapped in it and he feels like he doesn't have another choice and it's interesting to me that he he brought up the waitress in the diner which is like a staple of Dean's like playboy personality yeah he wants to do is like hook up with a waitress and then leave town but it seems like that are all lumped into this whole concept of his life that he has to pretend to enjoy but now that he's like stripped of all of his like inhibitions and all of his walls he he finally admit to Sam in his this moment of like a lot of vulnerability because he just can't bring himself to hide it anymore like how much he hates having to be this person it's that like persona being stripped away and like I feel like that's come up so much in these first few seasons that Dean presents this persona of I love the life that I have like this is the family business this is like oh you know I get every I get all these little bits of joy out of like yeah hooking up with waitresses and like you know being on the road and not answering to anyone but we know from back in season one and season two, like we know that that's not, that he feels really, really trapped. And this persona gets stripped away unwillingly. And he acknowledges that even the things that he uses to cope, the things that he calls fun are actually also equally trapping him, you know? And if we think about that, like from even the queer lens too, like he's trapped in this like compulsory heterosexuality where to maintain this image of himself as a man, he's got to like hook up with random girls at diners. He's got to like be a bit of a player, you know? And he seems so pulled to that until it's revealed that he like, that's not actually, that's equally something trapping him. Yeah, it brings me back to like, I think it was season two or season three in the, the gin episode of what, oh, yeah. what is, what's it Yeah, season be? two. Har- 
yeah, like how whenever we see Dean in a situation where he gets the choice, he almost always doesn't want the life that he has. It becomes mm-hmm. immediately clear that everything he's clinging so hard to right now, he's holding on to it because he doesn't think he has anything left without it. Mm-hmm. It's because he doesn't feel like he has a choice, like either because of the circumstances placed upon him or because of what it would cost for the rest of the world if he walked away. Like we don't, he doesn't feel like there's any other option for him. And right now, particularly at this point in season four, he is, he's being told that like heaven and God has plans for him, that there's like some kind of apocalypse coming, that he's been rescued for a reason. Like he's come out of hell, but he is now there's even more weight. And then there's all this stuff with Sam that he doesn't know what's happening. Sam is like, got this darker edge to him since he came back. We see his greatest fear is like Sam becoming a demon. And there's a lot that he's like really scared of that gets highlighted. And it's a really interesting character study. I feel like this kind of plays into the overall theme of season four and season five, the free will versus destiny. Yes. Because- we see Dean wanting out like whenever he feels like he's done with this he's the ghost sickness is progressing and he can't like really his fears are taking over and he's like I don't want to be a part of any of this like I want out I just want to walk away which Mm -hmm. is sort of a common trope I think it's part of the hero's journey if Mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken where the hero is like nope I can't do this this is I'm not the chosen one this is not for me I quit and then something drags them back in yeah and I feel I don't know if that's a technical part of a hero's journey but it's a common trope in those type of stories and I feel like this sort of Dean's moment where he's like nope I quit I'm done if I just say I'm done this doesn't affect me anymore but then he kind of realizes like the hallucinations start and all of that and he's like okay well I'm stuck here and even his Sam hallucination the Sam demon is telling him like well you're going back to hell it's about time like this is always going to happen like Dean deserves to go back to hell that's where he's going to be and it's always connected to his identity yeah like it kind of it kind of wraps itself back around to this idea of destiny like Dean can't avoid this destiny that's mm-hmm. waiting for him and I feel like it's kind of we see that struggle a little bit here where Dean's like actually I want out I want no part of this but in the end he's like I, I can't escape it yeah at the at the end of the day he's stuck in it because of you know destiny because of their free will being taken away because of all these circumstances that mean that they don't have an answer yet and it's the rest of the season is going to keep unfolding that like dean's resistance to the concept of destiny um and like we've already seen that little bits and pieces with Cass and his interactions with Cass where Cass is like this is the way things are going to be this is why you were rescued and dean's like that's I don't know how I, I don't like, I don't like that. I don't want that. I didn't ask for that. And I, that's a tension that is like just starting to build up. And I like seeing it from just Dean's perspective in this episode, like aside from anyone else, like this is all internal. Like none of this is happening from, it's all internal based on this ghost sickness, which is, is cool. I think the ghost sickness is a weird concept in general, but it's a cool one for what it does in this episode. Yeah. I'd like one more little thought it's a pretty small one but when Dean's having in the like one of the final scenes when he's having the like panic and freak out the he picks up the a bible to help ground him and I think that's so interesting in this season because we've just been introduced to like the concepts of like angels and being rescued and like God God intervening and like angels intervening and, and good things do happen Dean 
and like all of that. And I just think that is such a character shift for him. Like we never would have seen that in earlier seasons. Yeah, it's really, even looking at it now, I'm not sure I fully understand it. Like it's an interesting choice because Mm -hmm. especially at this point, I mean, Dean doesn't really trust Cass all that no. much. He I mean, he knows that Cass isn't quite like the other angels, but he doesn't really, they're not friends. He doesn't really trust no. them and he doesn't really have a reason to. And Dean is very resistant to the idea that there's God and there's goodness. Like even in mm-hmm. the earlier seasons, he refuses to believe that angels could be real because how could there be a God in a heaven if all of this exists down here? Yeah, and he sort of reluctantly admitted in the first couple episodes of the season he sort of reluctantly admitted that like okay it probably makes sense that there is a god based on all the evidence but he doesn't like it yeah he's still even if he has to forcibly like admit that angels exist at the very least because Cass was standing in front of him yeah he doesn't he doesn't like them he doesn't trust them he doesn't think that they're actually good guys so it's interesting to me that they would have Dean clutching a bible like in this Maybe it's just because he's so scared of hell. I think so. And that he knows how bad hell is. And Cass is the one who pulled him out of hell. And he's like, what? for whatever reason they did it, the angels were the ones who saved him from that. And maybe yeah. that's just some sort of like little semblance of hope he's clutching onto to ground himself. I, I think it's something like that. And yeah, I don't fully get it either, but I think I like it from also knowing where they're going to continue to develop that storyline. It's an interesting like shift towards faith in something even if it's very reluctant resistant faith at this point yeah because I don't think the dean of earlier seasons would have found any comfort at all from a bible no no I think it's like very much the opposite yeah so I think that that kind of wraps up our main episode discussion so we're going to move into our going meta section where we are tracking lore representation behind the scenes trivia and anything else that we want to talk about so first off we have our representation check so this includes things like the Bechdel test um how this episode handles marginalized communities and things like that we've talked a bunch about kind of how this episode handles neurodivergency and trauma. Is there anything else that we haven't already kind of talked about? I will say that I know you mentioned the Bechdel test on this podcast, and I noticed there was not a single woman in this episode who had dialogue aside from Lilith at the end. The entire episode was men with a single shot of Jessie where she did not speak, and then Lilith at the end. It would have cost them literally nothing to have some females in some scenes interacting there were like five or ten side characters in this episode and every single one of them were men like how did who who let that happen yeah yeah it's (laughs) not surprising but it is frustrating because you lose some of the opportunity for like nuance and you don't have any any other gender represented i'm pretty sure everyone in this episode was white as well yeah i'm pretty sure you're right about that anyone I can't think of any characters in this episode that had any significant screen time that I would remember that were yeah. white. No one that had dialogue, I don't think. Yeah, it's a not not a good episode for any of them. <laughs> no, it's not. It does not have representation outside of white cis men at all. <laughs> yeah, unfortunate. Well, moving along, I was looking into the lore and you said you have a a point you want to make about lore. I don't remember or know that much about the Buruburu spirit. I'm really bad at pronouncing that. Um, I think that was right. I think that's how I said in the episode. I just think it, like, road hauling, as Dean put it, a ghost. 
asked some interesting questions about the metaphysics of this ghost because <laughs> yes because typically ghosts aren't corporeal like yeah I'm pretty sure if it's not established yet it will be established in later seasons that it takes a lot of effort for a spirit to be able to physically manifest and do I things with think their physical that's already form. been established that's already been established so it's really strange to me that we're supposed to believe that this ghost in particular you can just put a rope around their neck and like that will have any effect on them well and also isn't it an iron chain yeah it was an iron also, chain that usually repels ghosts like instantly that does not yeah yeah that doesn't work even if it because i know sam says oh you know like dobby and i put a bunch of spell work on it but that shouldn't that shouldn't cancel out the fact that like iron repels ghosts that's their whole yeah, thing that's the whole strategy half the time is for them to like shoot it with iron rounds so that they can like dispel it until they can get rid of it you know and we actually see sam do that when we first <laughs> meet luther <laughs> so it's not like luther's, luther's immune <laughs> Yeah, the first time we meet Luther's ghost, Sam shoots him with the iron, like, or rock salt or whatever he has. He, like, shoots him with the ghost gun. Inconsistent in their own, in the same episode. That's infuriating. Yeah, Yeah, and like like you said, we see a lot of times they'll have, like, an iron rod or something, or like a fireplace poker or something they'll use to, like, swing at ghosts, and that makes them disappear. So why would the iron chain not immediately, like, make Luther disappear? Yeah. And it's also like a little strange, like I never really understood why the spell work needed to be involved on the iron chain, because the whole thing is that they just need to scare him. And I'm like, why would you need spell work? Like, it's just a little bit, they didn't do a lot of, they did a lot of work around the like what the ghost sickness looks like. They did not do any work to make the actual getting rid of the ghost make any logical sense in the lore of the show it's very much lost canon sort of thing yeah I feel like I had this thought earlier I feel like it would have made the story and the narrative and the lore make more sense if it would have just had him be a traditional ghost but they had to burn the bones somehow and then we always have that fake out moment where the bones didn't work and they need to find something else and like I feel like we still could have gotten across the metaphor for all of Dean's issues if we had done that maybe but I think so I also get that there's the ghost sickness was being used as a specific tool to show fear being spread. And I think they could have done ghost sickness still well, and they could have come up with a different way of like, they could have still done the burn the bones because the only reason they don't do that is because they're like, they don't have his remains are spread out, but they could have like gotten around that by like, I don't know, just finding a different way to like have him die in the first place. Like they could, there's probably multiple ways they could have done it that wouldn't have boxed them into this solution. Yeah, they literally went out of their way to make it the most complicated and like nonsensical explanation they could think of and I feel like that also we talked about earlier how the way that to get rid of his ghost was to re-traumatize him they did that on purpose they didn't have yeah. to go that way yeah no exactly and, it, and it, it makes it this episode more it makes it like worse for everyone involved including including the metaphors that are like applying to Dean when the yeah. fact that the only way to stop this is like the only way to stop fear is with more fear which the whole point of like this and the reason this ghost sickness even started was because someone who was afraid chose violence and they continually someone weaponized their fear to be violent the only way to stop that is to again weaponize fear and i think that that undercuts their message a little bit very fatalistic there's definitely a troubling moral message in this episode for sure yeah i appreciate that we like talked about some ways to interpret it a little bit differently because i think i appreciate those but it does highlight that the writing was going in a direction that is 
not great. They went out of their way to be really cruel to marginalized people. And like, they didn't have to wrap it up that way. That make The lore would have made more sense if they hadn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It would have actually, and then they could have also like brought back, I, I do wish that like this had been something that they hadn't like immediately lost canon because the concept of ghost sickness is really interesting and there's other ways they could have used it I can think of other plot lines later on in the show where it could have been interesting and it's just like another way for spirits to manifest as opposed to your typical angry spirit that we usually get but obviously that doesn't happen yeah I was gonna say did we ever see ghost sickness again because I don't think so no we never see it again and yeah again the fact that it's a burrow burrow spirit like why why is it that instead of something else is yeah it's a it's a like the common supernatural problem of like we have a really interesting concept but we are not going to use it again ever and we're not going to explain why why we never use it again i can definitely think of plot lines later on in the show but this would have been a really good like tool to explore some of what was going on but yeah fear and free will are like so heavy in this episode and like those are continually going to be themes that they could have used this as a like plot device to help us like I would have loved to have seen ghost sickness again but like have Sam experiencing it I can think of some like plot lines where that would have really helped us understand also what Sam was going through yeah because I feel like a lot of these plot specific monster of the week episodes like this tend to affect Dean Mm -hmm. but I feel like if they had brought some of those same ones that affected Dean back now that we understand how they work and applied them to Sam, it really would have given us more into his character. But a lot of times they would just find something really cool and then never use it again. So we didn't yeah. see the reversal of that. Yeah, exactly. And it's uh, unfortunate. I mean, that's what fanfic is for, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The only only other important lore piece is that this is the episode where we get it confirmed that time in hell passes differently than time on Earth and that it was, it felt like 40 years. So now we officially know that. We've kind of had it implied in a couple of episodes that that that's probably the case, but now we know for sure that that's the case. Is this the first time we really get kind of confirmation that Dean remembers his time in hell? No, we find that out in Lazarus Rising because Sam asks and then he has like a flash when he's like staring in the mirror, he has a flashback, but it is like adding more that he obviously remembers more like with what Lilith says that he, it's not just like flashes, he has more of a memory. Yeah, because if I remember right, for most of the first half of season four, Dean is kind of trying to play it off to Sam like, oh, it was all blurred to me. I don't remember any of it. Like, and Sam's like, well, but probably for the best and yeah I feel like I remember this confrontation with Lila being one of the first times that we actually yeah. realized like she's like no you remember all of it and yeah. it, was, and it wasn't yeah. just a year it wasn't or it wasn't just four months it was 40 years for you like that's a big realization on the trauma that Dean's been suffering yeah and that and the fact that it's not something that's going to fade away quickly like it's it's he's spent almost twice as long in hell as he spent on earth like it's it it's not going to be something that's going to disappear from his psyche. I feel like this episode also with confrontation with Lilith is kind of the first hint that we don't know what all Dean went through down there. Mm -hmm. Like we have an idea that he was tortured because it's hell. And like, we've seen flashes of him like in situations where it's like covered in blood and things like that. But I feel like Dean's been playing off or refusing to give any details and claiming he doesn't know, even though we can kind of tell that he is being haunted by those memories. But this is the first like hint and like a little suggestion that there's more to his time in hell. Yeah, that there's more of a psychological element as well as a physical element based on like the things Lilith says, like the the way that Lilith, which is actually just his subconscious, is Mm -hmm. 
bringing up those things and pushing him to remember is that like we're being told that it's he either he remembers and or he if there's stuff that he doesn't remember it's because it's just pushed below the surface and it's not going to take much for it to come out and fully be in his conscious mind yeah for sure. Yeah. On that very happy note, <laughs> I, I had one like behind the scenes, like location note. And it's just that there is some really pretty scenes that really showcase the Vancouver area that are really nice. And I always like really enjoy when there's like, there's the scene, I think it's towards the end with Bobby. And there's just like this beautiful, like forested scape behind them. And like, that's, it's just my favorite when I see those, because those are like the, for me, those are like the woods that I grew up, like looking out my bedroom window at. And they're just, they're gorgeous. And I also really loved that scene with Bobby, but we didn't really talk about Bobby, but like, I love dad Bobby and dad Bobby comes in clutch. I don't know why they didn't call him earlier, but dad Bobby comes in clutch. Yeah. It's like, I also love the moment where we realize out of nowhere that Bobby speaks fluent Japanese. (laughs) He just whips out the Japanese and Sam's like, okay. (laughs) I love that Bobby just shows up and instantly, I think Sam's just really grateful that Bobby's taken over. (laughs) We talked about that already. Like, he's like, okay, you're in charge now, Bobby. You know more than me. Yeah, I feel like there's a big relief in Sam's face whenever Bobby gets there and like takes control of the situation. Yeah, suddenly Sam's like, oh, I don't have to be responsible for all of this on my own. And also like, Bobby, you know things, you know more things, which is, I love every time we find out something new that Bobby knows and Sam and Ordine are both like, what, Bobby? I'm like, at this point, you shouldn't be surprised. Bobby knows more than you. Bobby knows more than John. Bobby knows more than everyone. <laughs> like, yeah, Bobby knows more than either of them will ever know. They should just be like used to that by now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bobby should be the first one you always call because the chances that Bobby's already solved this case is high. <laughs> I was thinking too. I actually noticed that shot you were talking about with the mountains behind them that episode because something that's always funny to me about Supernatural is someone who lives, I'm from like the upper south. I'm kind of from like where the south and the midwest merge in the U.S. and I live in the Midwest now and it's funny to me whenever they're trying to convince us they're filming in like Nebraska and you can see like mountain ranges behind them yeah I'm like this is so clearly Vancouver oh yeah when you're like this is not the Midwest I'm sorry but Vancouver does not look very much like the Midwest um it just doesn't a lot of times to their benefit they do manage to find like back roads and things yeah. that do look very like rural America very flat yeah yeah but there's definitely moments where they're supposed to be in like Kansas and you can see mountains in the background and, like, and I'm like mm, I don't think no. that's Kansas <laughs> Well, it's now time for our last and my favorite part of the episode, which is our character blessings. Would you like to start or would you like me to start? Um, I can start. I kind of already mentioned the person that I kind of honed in on this episode with Jessie. I really wanted to give her a blessing because she went out of her way to be kind. And I feel like those people, she's the kind of person who when there's a group conversation happening and the group stops listening to you talk, she'll look at you and make sure you know that someone's still listening. That's how I read her character. Like, Mm-hmm. She notices people. Yeah, those people are worth so much. And she was clearly going through her own mental struggles and her own issues in her life that we don't see much of but are hinted at. And she was still a kind person. And she didn't ask 
for all of this violence to happen essentially because of using her as an excuse for this violence and I would just mm-hmm. like to give her a blessing that I wish we got more of her story and I'm sure that she was a lovely person. Mm, that's lovely. I'm really glad you blessed her for those reasons. Well, I'm going to bless Dean because he seems like the other character to bless in this episode, particularly. Again, for kind of a lot of the things we talked about, he's dealing with like an incredible amount of trauma and he's dealing with it very much alone because he doesn't feel like he can talk about what he's been through. He doesn't feel like anyone will understand. Again, he's like Sam's parent in so many ways. And, you know, you're not going to burden your kid with like your trauma. And he's not able to talk to Bobby he's just like not been able to talk to anyone about it and in this episode it's he's just sort of like flung headfirst into that trauma into like flashbacks of that trauma and that's really really tough I think just a a blessing for him in the vulnerability that he's sort of forced into because like vulnerability like is often a place where really good things can happen but only when we're actually like safe enough to be vulnerable and he's like forced into being vulnerable without being safe and I think I'm looking forward to like other moments in the show where he'll be able to be vulnerable and be safe, but that's not like where this season is at right now. And I think just a blessing for him in walking through that really, really tough place. Yeah, I really feel like watching this again really points out how much Dean is actually going through and he's been struggling with all of this trauma alone. And Mm -hmm. like you said, this wasn't him choosing to be vulnerable about all of those fears. He was forced into it before he was ready. And mm-hmm. yeah, I really feel for him in this episode because as much of his fears are made into a joke, both by the writing and by him, it's all very serious and very scary for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, with those blessings, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for being here, Haley. This was really wonderful. Thank you. Is there anywhere that people can find you on the internet? Anything you would like to share as closing thoughts? Um, You can find me on TikTok at Dean Apologist. I have not been extremely active right at this moment because I've been moving personally and I've had a lot going on. But usually I make consistent videos about Supernatural on there. And uh, I don't do, I'm not as active in the fandom on Twitter, but I'm on Twitter at Dean Apologist underscore because Dean Apologist was taken. Um, (laughs) Those are the only places I'm really active. I'm most likely to be able to interact on TikTok probably. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing. We'll put that, we'll put links in the episode description as well so you can find them easily. Yeah. So if you want to hear more of our episodes, you can make sure you're subscribed to Saving People Queering Things uh, wherever you listen to podcasts and share the show with your friends who like Supernatural or your friends who don't like Supernatural and, you know, force them to watch along with you. Um, (laughs) You (laughs) can find all of our social media, including our Discord server through our website, which is queeringthingspodcast.com. So yeah, you can be sure to ride along with us next week as we discover season four, episode seven. It's the Great Pumpkin, Sam Winchester. Thank you all so much for coming along for the ride and we wish you a peaceful road until we meet again. 